If you are looking for the secret of success in life, there is no limit to the number of people who are willing to give you suggestions. Colin Powell says, there are no secrets to success. It is the result of preparation, hard work, and learning from failure. Legendary pianist Paderewski, I owe my success to 1% talent, 10% to luck, and 90% to hard work. Work, work, and more work is the secret to success. John D. Rockefeller, the secret of success is doing common things uncommonly well. Or Mark Twain, the secret to success is finding where people are going and getting there first. There is an element of truth in each of these suggestions. Working hard, working with excellence, learning from mistakes, and understanding people are all good ideas. But is there more? Is there a principle not found in business how-to books that would be helpful? How did people like Moses, Elijah, Mary, and Peter achieve eternal success? Join Vicki Hitzkiss, Nathan Norman, and Kent Edwards as they search for the secret of success in Psalm 127. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the Psalms. If you have a Bible handy, turn to Psalm 127 as we join their discussion. What advice have people shared with you on achieving success in life? Vicki, Nathan, you must have had people sat alongside and tell you how to make something of yourself. Do you remember what some of that advice was? I don't know if this was the be-all, end-all, but I, I used to work with motivational speaker Zig Ziglar, and he would always tell people to speak. If you want to have personal self-confidence, he'd say, get on a stage. Oh, wow. Hmm. Which is like the number one fear in America. Yeah, I'm just mm -hmm. going to say. Above, yeah, above dying, right? Number one is, is <laughs> speaking in public. Number two is dying. <laughs> People would rather be in the box than delivering the eulogy. <laughs> well said. Uh, oh, I heard uh, never start a fight, but always finish it. <laughs> As Brian said earlier, there's no limit to the suggestions people make. Get a good education, uh, network with people. Um, there's no limit to the kind of suggestions people make. But that's why I'm intrigued by Psalm 127. Who wrote Psalm 127? I'm just going to take a stab. I guess it was David. <laughs> no, no um, it wasn't. This one was written by Solomon. Ah, It's a song of ascents as we continue to look at these Psalms of ascents. But this one was written by Solomon. He's like sneaking it right into his dad's playbook here. Just, <laughs> just put it right in there. He won't notice. <laughs> this is a wisdom psalm. Unlike most psalms, this one is a musical proverb. It is a teaching lesson. Why doesn't that surprise you? Oh, because Solomon wrote proverbs. That was his thing. Yeah. I mean... So many of the book of Proverbs are written by Solomon. Why did he write so many? What was so unique about Solomon? That was his prayer. God came to him. What would you like? I'll give you anything. And instead of praying for power and riches and fame and glory, he prayed for wisdom. Hmm. 
<laughs> didn't always live it, but he, but he knew it. And uh, certainly his Proverbs express great insight. In this case, who is Solomon writing for? He is writing to the pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem. He is. Uh, Vicki, would you read it for us? It's not a long psalm, but can you just bring it so we can see it in its entirety? Sure. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of warriors are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Hmm. They will not be put to shame when they contend for their opponents in court. So this is a proverb, but it's a musical expression of a proverb. Nathan, what mood do you hear when um, you hear these words? He's playing this in a minor key. Hmm. There, there's a longing here. Hmm. It's very sobering as someone who came to this lesson too late and is trying to tell others. Yeah, yeah. I had an exercise that I used with my doctoral students when we looked at Proverbs. I asked them to come to class the next day with three original Proverbs. Super easy. <laughs> Super easy. <laughs> then I said, I don't want to hear all three. Just give me your best one, because bad Proverbs aren't very interesting. Good call, yeah. And, uh, and they told me, and I said, how did you make that? And the only way that they could make a proverb is look at a life experience and distill the lesson that came from it. So a proverb is a lesson that is learned by observing or experiencing life. I think in this case that Solomon is looking back at his own life. In his later years, I suspect that Solomon saw the futility of trying to succeed apart from God. I mean, that's his point, right? In verse one, he said, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. I think he's realizing that there came a time in his life when he tried to do that, when he tried to succeed on his own and apart from God. David saw this happen to him in 2 Samuel chapter 12, remember? When the world came tumbling down on David, when Nathan the prophet exposed his assault against Bathsheba, the murder, the lies, and the cover-up. For this period in his life, David tried to build his own house apart from the Lord, and it came tumbling down. Success apart from God was obviously futile. But in 1 Kings chapter 9, something happened to Solomon where he followed in David's unfortunate footsteps. What happened in verse 9? Someone you want to read that for me? I will. It says, When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared and said to him, I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. If you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, 
I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. Wow, those are strong words. I think we'd also agree they're clear words, right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's no ambiguity. And Solomon, what did he do? How did he respond? Yeah, he did okay for a little bit. Then he took 700 wives and 300 concubines, which are like second-class citizen wives. 800 wives of one way or another. 800. A thousand. A thousand. Oh, I'm sorry. A thousand wives of one kind or another. I mean, what? Why would anyone take that many wives? I mean, what was his point? What was, you couldn't even see one a day. I mean, why would he have so many wives? Uh, The same reasons as anyone does anything really stupid. Money, (laughs) power, and sex. (laughs) Power. Explain that. Uh, So a lot of these wives were from neighboring uh, tribal people. So he was consolidating his power uh, by marrying into their royal families. So that's where a lot of the wives come from. Mm -hmm. Uh, Concubines were probably more about sex than anything else. Uh, But then when you consolidate families and you're getting, you're welcoming a person from a lesser tribe into your household as a king, you're now requiring some kind of financial remuneration, whether that is the dowry that comes with them or an ongoing tribute. So it's really a financial slash political move, right? Yeah. So you're making political alliances. You're strengthening your your country um, internationally, as well as making yourself enriched personally. No, I mean, it seems smart, but what did it do to Solomon? Oh, it hardened his heart, turned him away from God. It did. And he began to worship the gods gods. of his wives. Mm -hmm. It turned him away from God. In response, God raised up adversaries against Solomon. Isn't that scary? God said, if you've turned against me, I turn against you. He deliberately raised up enemies. And rebellion broke out. And although for David's sake, Israel stayed together during his life, what happened immediately after his death? The kingdom was divided into two. And Solomon, for all of his wisdom, failed as a leader. I think before his death, I think Solomon could see things unraveling. I think you realized too late the folly of trying to succeed in life apart from God. So he wrote this song of metaphors for the travelers of Jerusalem and used object lessons from what they saw on their journey so they could learn from his mistake. He makes his point in verse 1 when he said his main idea is that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. But then he proves his point 
with three metaphors. Imagine you're a traveler, a pilgrim on the way to Jerusalem, and along the road you see various sites. One of the sites I think they probably would have passed, according to this psalm, was the ruins of a destroyed city. As they walked by, they could see its broken walls, the burnt homes of its long-ago occupants. That's why Solomon wrote at the end of verse 1, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Hmm. What he's saying to the travelers is that the guards can't protect it alone. The military cannot provide a people with the security they need and want. Without the assistance of the Lord, even the mightiest armies will fail. I mean, have we seen that in the Bible? God took out the strongest army in the world, Egypt, with the Red Sea. Ah, yeah. When, uh, against fleeing former slaves who had no weapons and no means to protect themselves. God parts the Red Sea for his people and, like making the bed, just washes away the Egyptian army. <laughs> yeah. With God, they can't fail. And do you remember, do you remember another battle that um, Moses helped them win? I can't remember the name of the plane, but they were uh, fighting uh, against marauders. And as Moses held up his hands, uh, the Israelites were winning. As long as Moses held his hands up, then the nations, the Israelites were victorious. When they got tired and lowered them, they started to lose. It was all about God, right? It was. It was not about them. Unless the Lord watches over city, the guards watch in vain. Clearly, for that city that they saw destroyed with the walls broken, God was not on their side. A second metaphor comes in verse 2. Notice what he says next. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. At this point, I think they're passing a farm. And I think the farm is doing well. Seems to me that the crops are tall, robust, filled with a harvest ready to be taken. <laughs> you would almost say, man, that's a great farmer. But Solomon, while acknowledging the farmer's hard work, says, what's that strange line? God grants what? Sleep to those he loves. What does that have to do with a farm? <laughs> Seriously. Because the crops, the farmer does his part, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not a farmer or the son of a farmer, but, uh, but I do know that farmers have to till the soil, they have to plant the seed, they have to cover them over. They, uh, it's hard work being a farmer. I know that for darn sure. But does that hard work guarantee a harvest? It does not. While they sleep, the seed germinates. While they sleep, its roots develop and begin to sink in the soil. The farmer needs to do his part, but the farmer doesn't do all the parts. Even while they sleep and do nothing, God is causing the harvest mm. to grow. The farmer sows the seeds, but God causes them to flourish. It is God who sends the rain and the sun. And without God's active assistant, no farmer can succeed. 
we have a um, crosstalk uh, group, a cohort that is that meets in America in the state of Kansas. If Kansas is known for anything, it's known for farming, and a number of the people in our cohort are farmers. I can tell you they care about whether the rain falls. They are live in dependence on what God would do that is completely outside of their control. If God does not send what they cannot personally provide, the harvest will fail and they can be devastated. <laughs> and one thing I know about many farmers, they know how to pray because farmers alone cannot guarantee good, good harvests. Hard work alone doesn't do it. In vain, you rise up early and stay up late toiling for food. God can do it even while you sleep. Then we come to the third metaphor. I think at this point, he's simply telling the parents to look around at their own family, the children that surround him as they walk towards Jerusalem. And Solomon points out what every parent knows in verses 3, 4, and 5. He says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Isn't that true? Nathan, has your life been enriched by the children that God has provided for you? Yes, what I often say, oh, well, my own proverb that I've come up with. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh <laughs> Children don't make your life easier, but they do make it better. Hmm. Isn't it nice, Vicki, when we can gather together with family? Oh, yes. Family is one of the greatest treasures that God has given to us. That's especially true in the ancient world as they're traveling along with a gaggle of kids. Because uh, in that day, especially when agriculturally dominant uh, culture, kids were especially important, right? Yeah, they come out and help with the harvest. They pick the little weeds and they... They're able to harvest things. They can help with some of the water, some of the smaller tasks they can help with. But it's a huge help. Yeah. Now Solomon asks the traveler, as you walk along this journey, you realize your children are your most precious possession, your legacy, your strength. But did you make your children? <laughs> um, I was involved. <laughs> but have you ever, Nathan, as a pastor, at least it's been my experience, is have you ever gone to celebrate the arrival of a child with a parent in a hospital or at home and have them say, look what we made? No. There's, I've never heard a parent say that. We stand in awe and say, look at what God has done. Look at the majesty. I couldn't make a child. We acknowledge with David that our children were fearfully and wonderfully made by God. I could never make a child, but he did. <laughs> He's right, though. Someone Solomon says, they come to us in our sleep. Yeah, in the darkness of night with the wonder of sex, you make love to your spouse. But God formed your child, not you. As you slept, God created your child. What you value the most came from him. Do you see what Solomon is saying here in these three metaphors? What did he learn from his failures? 
If God is left out of our efforts, we will accomplish nothing. Or, you know, Vicky, as I once heard your father, Haddon Robinson, say, you are stupid to try and accomplish things without God. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit more direct. I think Solomon is right. He's writing out of regret, and he's writing it so that we won't say these words out of regret when we look back at our life. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Johnny Cash's song, Hurt, Ooh. that he wrote at the end of his life, towards the end of his life. And it was about all of his drug addiction, and it's a haunting song. Mm -hmm. And there's a line in there, he says, and uh, you can have it all, my empire of mm -hmm. dirt. Yeah. Right. This He's just hurt himself in so many different ways. And... The refrain of the song, he never actually has to say it, but he's saying, don't do it. It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. So how do we know? How do we know if our actions are in step with God's purposes? How do we know our will is in line with his will? Nathan, when you make decisions in life, how do you know that? What are some of the criteria that you bring to make sure that you're working with God? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you have to ask is the, is, is the decision moral or good, right? So if there's any sin issues, obviously that negates it. Does it go against God's word and what he's revealed through scripture? So if it, if it goes against it, then obviously it's not something that we, we can pursue. Um, then I'm going to spend a lot of time in prayer asking God for direction, but I'm also going to talk to other individuals mm -hmm. and get their feedback and their insight, godly men and women, and see what they think. And if they can help me discern what God's will is in leading and guiding. Yeah. Vicki, have you got any suggestions for us? Well, what he said is, is good. In the counsel of many, there is wisdom. Mm -hmm. I think I think if you don't know, of course you ought to pray about things, but I think in the counsel of many, there's wisdom. And then I think we have great freedom to go do. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that I find helpful and challenging is to look at my motives. Why am I doing this? Mm. It's not wrong to build a city but why am I building the city? Is it for me? Is it for thee? Um, I, I think of Jesus in Gethsemane when he says, Father, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Um, yeah. and Jesus submitted, I want to build God's kingdom, not mine. I want to bring glory to the Father I want to glorify him, not myself. I find it all too easy to justify anything that I want to do with words. But is it really what is God's agenda, what he wants? And when it is, I think that gives us the freedom and faith to step out in faith and trust him. To do things that we would not have done on our own but to expand his kingdom with the opportunities and gifts that he has given us. The secret of success is not to build our empire. It's not to expand my kingdom and my influence, but man's chief end is to glorify God. 
and to enjoy Him forever. As we face this new year, and we're going to make many decisions, and all of us want to succeed. But we will never succeed unless God is in our efforts. Unless at the very end we're saying, not my will, but yours be done. There's an old hymn that portions of this may speak to us as we try to make wise decisions to succeed in life by helping God's agenda succeed. Do you remember that old hymn, Vicky, Guide Me? Oh, Thou Great Jehovah? Oh, yeah, that's an old hymn. Guide me, O oh, Thy Great Jehovah. Pilgrim through this barren land, I am weak, but Thou art mighty. Hold me with Thy powerful hand. Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. Strong deliverer, be Thou still my strength and shield. Strong deliverer, be Thou still my strength and shield. Amen. Because if God is left out of our efforts, we will accomplish nothing. What will happen if God is left out of your efforts? According to this proverb by Solomon, you will accomplish nothing. I trust that today's discussion of God's word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's Word to life, to our lives, this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more about this educational, nonprofit organization, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by rating it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find it. Be sure to listen next Friday as we continue to apply the Word of God to our lives. You won't want to miss it. Hard work and learning from failure. Legendary pianist Paderewski. Legendary pianist Paderewski. It is a result of preparation, hard work, and learning from failure. Legendary pianist Paderewski. Paderewski. Paderewski said, I owe my success to Paderewski.